So, Connor, I have some bad news for you. Okay. You and your company, Homefield Apparel, have generously decided to sponsor this little podcast we've got going. Um, but it is a, a doomed voyage. It is a mission that cannot possibly be fulfilled. Because what we're trying to do on this podcast is explain what it's like to be a fan of a certain school. And the truth is that, like, as much as we want them to be, fan bases are not monoliths. It's different for everybody. And there are some common themes and some common experiences, some shared experiences. But, like, I can't do this. And I, I just thought you should know, before we start this show, that, like, you have signed on to something that is doomed to fail. Well... Ryan, I don't know if you know this, and I don't really publicly reveal this that often, but I have signed my rooting interests, education, and company on the back of Indiana football. So I don't possibly know what it means to sign up to something that's doomed to fail. <laughs> so I'm so glad I, you, this is new to me. I'm so glad you brought that up because Indiana, in talking to you and in talking to Indiana football Twitter, all I six think, of us, yeah. I, I think Indiana uh, likes to think of itself as a bit of a chaos team, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. But the team we've selected to start this show, we're not all like this, is the, the, the pinnacle of chaos teams, the Auburn Tigers. And I'm curious, like, how you feel about Auburn and what what you think it would be like to have signed your life over to being an Auburn fan instead of a Indiana fan. So the nice part about being an Indiana football fan is even though there's chaos and it's endlessly frustrating that the stakes are extremely low and it's what makes it fun. Yeah. Even when it's not fun. When you are Auburn and you have the ceiling of a national championship, it makes it... One of my best friends was Auburn, so I talk with him about this all the time. Endlessly frustrating, I'm sure, because all of the pieces are there. Um, similar to, like, I don't know, having a college basketball team with a bunch of national championships in the most talent-rich state for basketball. Can't relate to that. Who could so, that possibly be? I don't know who that could refer to, but... I do remember once going on the College of Magnolia podcast back in the day, and this dynamic was brought up about myself enjoying Indiana. This was in 2022 when it was really cooking mm -hmm. in Auburn, you know, Auburn, uh, being Auburn. And I was talking about chaos, and one of the hosts stops me. Uh, I apologize because I forget which host it was. And he goes, yeah, you know, um, Indiana's like Latin American geopolitical chaos, but... Auburn's like Middle Eastern geopolitical chaos. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's a great way of putting it. It destabilizes the whole world potentially where sure. it, Indiana's like, oh, what's going on over there? That's weird. So. Well, we, uh, we didn't ask any of our guests on this episode uh, for their perspective on Palestine or, uh, or any other issues of Middle East politics. Maybe we'll save it for next week. Uh, but we, I think we put together a very good show. We've got three delightful guests, uh, who, all of whom are deep into emotional debt with Auburn, and uh, I think have some some good common perspectives and some good ways in which they differ. Uh, we talk about Auburn Jesus, which I think mm. is uh, a, an important thing to explain. Um, relevant to the business of homefieldapparel.com. That's right. Let's talk about the peacock because, you know, Auburn's already lousy with mascots as is. How on earth did y'all did y'all determine it yet? Like, oh, what they need is another one. Another mascot, the third, yeah. fourth, fifth mascot right, that right. they have. So the Auburn peacock, for those who don't know, and if you're listening to this podcast, there's like a 97% chance that you do know, but I'm still going to to talk about it. In the 2021-2022 men's college basketball season, uh, Auburn, the Auburn Tigers were ranked number one. And they had a really fun team, lots of NBA prospects. And their fan base went, went nuts over them. And 
I just remember logging on Twitter one day from the Homefield brand account and seeing all these Auburn people we know with Peacocks and their display name, which I was very confused by this January 2022. So I thought it'd be funny. I had no context whatsoever. I just tweeted out a Peacock emoji from the Homefield account and it got stupid traction, like hundreds of retweets, hundreds, if not a thousand likes or whatever. So I was like, oh, there's something here. I should do some investigative journalism and ended up talking to the creator of this phenomenon, Ryan Starrett, who uh, was at College of Magnolia. And he had basically written a blog comparing the way that the Auburn men's basketball team played to Peacocks, very proud, their chest was out, whatever. It took hold in the online fan base. Auburn was really smart, and they ended up having him um, as a part of like their pregame ceremonies during one of the games. But we made a shirt of a peacock uh, wearing an Auburn basketball jersey modeled after the Allen Iver- Iverson crossover with a headband <laughs> and everything. And we sold an obscene amount of Auburn peacock um, T-shirts. And then later in that year, it was the year of the peacock, funny enough, um, I don't know if you know this, Purdue lost to St. Peter's, the Peacocks, uh, mm-hmm. in the tournament, and we mm-hmm. sold a lot of St. Peter's gear, too. So, yeah, it was the year of the Peacock, but not from the team you would think. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, I think, thinking back on this episode, I think the Peacock is a fitting mascot for Auburn. I know that's for basketball, but I think it fits for football as well. Like, a lot of bravado, very, like hard to look away from like nobody ever walks by a peacock and is like oh, i'm not going to pay attention to that um kind of confusing in its existence nobody would say like oh the peacock you mean the fiercest or the fastest or you know the the, the most amazing bird it's like nah it's just something we've all sort of latched on to and mm-hmm. it's unclear why other than oh it's shiny oh that's different Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's that's what really it is. Is that mm-hmm. Auburn football? Yeah, that that thing is different. It's there. Yeah, it is there, and it's you're gonna watch it because why would you not? Uh, before we start this episode, what's going on at the labs at Homefield Apparel these days? This is great integrated marketing. <laughs> this is why this, this is, is why you, we get up. This is so much better than all the other ads you've paid for on my other podcast. So I get up in the morning to create value for the shareholders through my integrated marketing. Yes, yeah, so Homefield, the vintage collegiate apparel brand, I helped co-found. Uh, got a lot of fun stuff going on right now at our website, homefieldapparel.com. Uh, last week, we just launched some refreshes for Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. We just picked those three schools at random. It wasn't to create some weird you know, rivalry where people buy more than each other. <laughs> they don't have any associations with one another. Uh, we also launched a UTEP collection, which was pretty sick. Uh, this upcoming week, we've got a Kent State drop for the first time. Um, some really fun golden flashes gear and then kansas kansas state and missouri again dropping as refreshes again there's no Ooh. connection between those nope. schools they nope. don't they did not fight a civil war uh two of them so <laughs> yeah really excited um and you can actually even get if you're never bought from home field you can get 15 percent off your first purchase with code like this at checkout and buy some really inspired vintage collegiate apparel we spent a lot of time uh, digging through the archives, making it unique, like an Auburn Peacock um, for your school or schools you didn't attend. We've got a lot of people um, who now buy for schools they didn't attend, which I personally like because it helps me drive more value for the shareholders. That's true. That's true. I, I've told Connor this, but uh, a couple weeks ago, I got some very confused looks at daycare pickup because I was wearing my Minnesota Golden Gophers uh, hockey t-shirt <laughs> and my Hawaii Rainbow Warriors dad hat. <laughs> And I looked like the worst undercover agent possible. <laughs> like I was, I, I'm busting up some sort of ticket scam. You're, at the you're Jack floor. Donaghy's uh, private investigator. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, all right. Well, Connor, we're gonna we're gonna do this every episode. So that's I hope right. you're ready for more uncomfortable questions. Uh, but without further ado, let's hear from our guests this week. I'm Justin Ferguson. I am an Auburn grad, uh, an Auburn 
lifelong family member question mark and i run the auburn observer which is a newsletter and podcast covering auburn football and men's basketball and i was literally born into this insanity i'm lydia i grew up an auburn fan uh, family connections i did go to school there as well so i have some student experience and have continued to return to campus in the fall for football, in winter for basketball, spring for baseball, some softball, some soccer. So would call myself a fan, but not a crazy. Hey y'all, I'm Jerry Hennon. Uh, I've been an Auburn fan since birth. I come from a family where the Auburn Creed was read in its entirety at my grandfather's funeral. So uh, since I have been breathing oxygen, I have also been bleeding uh, burnt orange and navy blue. So um, that's me. You can find me on Twitter, Twitter, question mark, at, at Jerry Hinnon. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Very occasionally at the WarEagleReader.com, but that's only when I've got something to say. That, that's very rare these days, unfortunately. Explain the creed to people who <laughs> maybe have heard about it, maybe have no idea what it is, but what on earth is the Auburn Creed? The Auburn Creed was a series of principles uh, written down by, uh, I believe, George Petrie, who was an early Auburn, I believe, football coach and president uh, that say, you know, the idea is these are the principles that the men and women of Auburn University and the Auburn community will attempt to adhere to. I believe in the human touch. I believe in hard work. I believe uh, in, you know, I think the rule of law. I can't remember all of it, like, offhand but it's it's great like it's um you know this actual sort of like auburn constitution in some ways right where it's like these are the things that we believe in um you know and these are the principles that we are going to try to adhere to it's a, it's like a 10 commandments uh for auburn in a lot of ways but they're much cooler because we're the only ones who get them right <laughs> we're the only ones who get the creed uh, and, you know, it's really um, a very nice sort of thing to sort of fall back on. And again, you know, like I, I said in the intro there, uh, the creed was read at my grandfather's funeral and it was like just really emotional, um, you know, because, again, I, I come from a family of all Auburn fans. Right. Um, you know, most of them Auburn graduates. My mom was one of six siblings, five of which uh, graduated from Auburn. My mom was actually the one exception, but of course she rooted for Auburn her whole life. That's where my grandparents on that side met uh, after World War II. Dad, uh, granddad was there on the GI Bill. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, I grew up 30 minutes from Auburn. I grew up in a town called Dadeville. Um, all my friends were Auburn. You know, it's just um, this sort of anchoring link, I would say, between everyone who really takes, I would say, Auburn seriously, not just as a football team, but as an institution, right? Like, you know, we're going, the creed is not very much about athletics, although it gets brought up a lot in the context of the football team, especially when we talk about work, comma, hard work, um, you know, uh, but particularly for people who attended Auburn, who uh, have sat in Jordan-Hare Stadium as a graduate, or even just as a fan, honestly, if you have a tie to the Auburn University community, uh, the creed is a big part, I would say, of sort of understanding this is what we're trying for, right? We don't always get there <laughs> as a community, as a collection of football fans. We don't always believe in the human touch and, you know, a lot of the other uh, high-minded principles that the creed espouses. Um, we have even reached the point where a subset of Auburn fans have described other Auburn fans who would like to apply the principles of the creed to such things as, should we hire this particular football coach as, quote, creed thumpers, unquote. You know, it's an <laughs> insult that means... You have principles that you would like to apply to the football program. That's silly. And then, of course, you know, a lot of us who believe in the creed and who, like I said, think it's pretty awesome, uh, you know, would push back against that. But even amongst people who would throw around the word creed thumper, you're still seeing it be sort of this basis, this anchor 
uh, of understanding between Auburn fans. So that, that that is what I would say the creed uh, really gets down to. The other term I'd like you to explain to me and our listeners is Auburn family. Auburn fans, and I think not without reason, are very proud of, are very invested in the idea that they are a tighter knit community than lots of other football fan bases, lots of other professional sports fan bases, that sort of thing. Auburn is a very small city. Like as a city, Auburn is almost exclusively students and university employees, right? Like it's not even like a Tuscaloosa or Gainesville where It's a large portion, but then there's also a lot of people who aren't. Auburn is small. Like, uh, you know, it's really almost only the university. That creates a very sort of feel of everybody's kind of in this together as Auburn people, right? Um, You know, lots of people talk about, uh, you know, coming to Jordan-Hare Stadium and just getting this rush of community and togetherness and this sort of thing. Um, and that tight knittedness, particularly when contrasted, I think, with not just Alabama, but other fan bases as well, is where the term Auburn family comes in, that it is something more than just, oh, we're all rooting for, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers together. Part of the reason why Auburn ends up landing guys, you know, really good recruits sometimes is they just feel a different vibe here. And that gets hokey and that gets played up. Everybody thinks they're special and everybody thinks they're different. But Auburn fans will tell you, like, legitimately, like, no, you're going to get this feeling here that is going to be different than what you're going to get at other places. And they hammer that, you know, down really, really well. And I, I think there's some truth to it. I think there's a lot of truth into it. I mean, I grew up in it. Um, but was, yeah. that, was that true even when you were a kid? That, that yeah, sort of, like, yeah, you, Auburn family sensibility or whatever? Yeah, it's just like, you know, you grow up, like um, – like, like I said, when I grew up in South Alabama, like I was one of only a few Auburn fans I knew in the, t- I grew up in a small town and it was like 98% Alabama fans. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to band together with these people and just be like, ah, it's us against the world. Like it's, it's, you know, it's this unique and, and Auburn fans who live in Georgia will tell you the same thing. They feel the same way about what they have to deal with, with dog fans all the time. And so I think it's that kind of spirit that has kind of, you know, it, it just, they, they sell themselves differently. Um, Alabama, Georgia can sell themselves on like, you know, terrible things like winning national titles and going to the NFL. <laughs> Auburn can give you some of that, but what they have to do is they have to make up for it when they say, hey, you're going to come here and you're just going to get a different feeling here. You're going to get a different vibe. And, I, you know, a lot of it can be hokey and overblown, but I, I do tell people who've never been here, like, come visit a get, you know, come visit Auburn sometime. Go to a game. Like, it, you're just going to get – it's going to be different. It's going to be a little bit of a vibe. And so um, – yeah, that's the thing. And they love it. They love it. They will promote it. You will hear Auburn family nine million times. Uh, and uh, it, it is a recruiting tool, but uh, there is a kernel of truth to it. You always know that you're going to have those same people either tailgating with you or sitting near you in the stadium. Those same people are going to be there. You're going to be able to commiserate with them in the bad years, and you're going to be able to celebrate with them in the good. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. I know it's not significantly unique to Auburn. I know there's plenty of other schools that have that same experience, but I don't think that a lot of schools really grab onto it and wrestle it to the ground the way that Auburn does, because I don't think a lot of other schools have had as much, as you put it, chaos to kind of force us to cling to each other (laughs) in the midst of who knows what else is going to happen. Um, I mean, you always know that person next year is going to be a life raft, whether you just met five minutes ago as, Hey, we're in these seats this week, or we're always in these seats. And I'm sorry for the things you may or may not hear. Here Here are the things you need to know about what's going to go on while you're here. If you're not cool with that, let us know. <laughs> what is your first memory of Auburn football? At the 1985 or 86 A-Day game, I remember praying to God that the blue team would win. Um, so I have been an Auburn fan you know, how long have you been an Auburn fan, Jerry? 
Well, longer than I could comprehend what a spring game is, uh-huh. possibly longer than I can comprehend who God is. Uh, you know, that that that's how long. That is my earliest memory uh, is is watching um, a day and being hyper invested in the outcome. I, I remember watching Bo, uh, you know, run in the fall of '85. Uh, you know, uh, the I have this very searing memory of his run against Georgia that pops up in these highlight reels where he cuts back across the field. And I remember thinking, well, where is he going? And then, you know, he scores a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he even then, you know, uh, was larger than life. So that is, you know, the era when, you know, my earliest memories were formed uh, as an Auburn football fan. Um, and that, that's a pretty nice era, I would say, uh, for that to be the case. I lived when I was very small in Auburn. And growing up, my dad was in school. Um, you know, my parents didn't have a ton of money, so we didn't go to a lot of Auburn football games. But the first game I remember going to is an Auburn Vanderbilt game in the 90s. And Auburn just kicked the tar out of, out of Vanderbilt. And, like, I guess I was probably five at the time, five or six mm-hmm. years old at the time, and like I thought in my head, like this is how it always is. Like Auburn, like <laughs> like Auburn just comes in and just crushes somebody. This is this is how it always will be, and uh, yeah, um, it was it was fun, and uh, I, I do remember Aubie and the Vanderbilt mascot uh-huh. getting in like a fake fight. Sure. That I thought was real because <laughs> I was little. Um, but yeah, it was just like, yeah, oh, Auburn, we always do this. And it's like, <laughs> all right, hold on, kid. You're going you're gonna to have a, a fun few couple of decades. I never grew up with season tickets like mm-hmm. a lot of other people that I know. So I didn't really experience college football as a fan until I went to my first game when I was in high school. And that was a whole eye opener. Being on campus. What game was that? I want to say it was Auburn, Arkansas in 2001, maybe. Don't ask me what day. Couldn't tell you. I just know it was my dad and me in the upper deck. And I had a friend that was a student at Arkansas and had come down for the game, was sitting in the student section. So my dad and I got tickets in the upper deck directly above the away section so that we could, you know, yell down at him and heckle him and all that fun stuff. Cause that's the kind of person my dad is and has grown me up to be. But the experience of being on campus changed a lot. And when I say it gets in your blood, I'm sure a lot of Auburn people use that phrase when they talk about Auburn, but being on campus changes everything. Never have I done hard drugs, but I would imagine it's like that first hit, you know, it opens your eyes. Everything is brighter. Everything is moving faster. You notice a ton of details. The pageantry of it all will just suck you in in a heartbeat. What's your first like, oh, this is going to be a hard, uh, a hard struggle, Auburn memory? We moved to South Alabama when I was in elementary school, Um, grew up in an area surrounded by Alabama fans. Um, this was even like this uh, pre Saban, like this wasn't like Alabama just has everybody's attention. Uh, but Auburn played uh, in an Iron Bowl, lost it thirty-one to seven, and I remember at school all the Alabama fans knowing that I was an Auburn fan and just mocking me relentlessly. Uh, me and my, me and my, the couple of friends that I had that were Auburn fans, and I just remembered being like, oh. Oh, this. Oh, okay. So this might be more like like how it is, you know. And like my dad and my grandfather and all these like tell me like, yeah, living through, you know, the uh, the Bear Bryant days or yep. you know those the stretch. Like, yeah, yeah, no, this this that you're the underdog here, kid. Like, like this is not your, this is not a this is not a, a story where you're always on top. So my first real season experience was fall. 2002 as a student. So I got to see USC come to town and bash our brains in. <laughs> and if, um, if anyone that was an Auburn fan liked Matt Leiner before that game, they did not afterwards. <laughs> um, that whole season from beating Syracuse in two or three overtimes where the game ended after midnight and then turning around and getting your 
brains beat in by USC. That started the roller coaster experience actually on campus. But all of it changes when you feel like you're a part of it in that stadium, especially being in the student section, being a part of all of the noise and the insanity that comes out of that place. The Nick Saban dynasty, for some college football fans, has been frustrating, whether or not you are in Alabama's orbit. And even if you are, like, until recently, if you were a Tennessee fan, I'm sure you weren't thrilled at how well that machine has been run. But I'm curious, what is different about that experience for Auburn fans in particular? I think a lot of the initial frustration that a lot of fans felt came from, well, this is going to change our recruiting because during the Shuley years, we came to enjoy, you could pretty much get whatever recruit you wanted out of the state of Alabama, but having someone who's built something like Saban does, you have to respect it. Even if you hate it, I don't think you'll find anyone that says they don't respect what he's done. And if they say that, they're lying. But it's the knowing that you have such a, such a formidable presence to contend with, not just on the field, but in your recruiting, in your promotions and in everything, knowing that that has to be back of mind, that you can't take days off, you can't be lazy. And I think that's a lot of the frustration that uh, came to light this past football season with the previous coach and staff, knowing what little was going on behind the scenes and knowing what you have to do to compete with a situation like that. Um, I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in no, you're not always going to win every battle, but you at least need to be able to be competitive and not being able to breathe because you have, bless his heart, Mike Shula behind the helm, not really knowing what to do yet because he's just a baby coach. Um, that was a lot of fun for us. <laughs> and I think some people got used to it. Well, you got to keep in mind that, so I just told the story of, of when Auburn lost an iron bowl when I was young, then they won six in a row and Alabama got tired of that basically. And wanted, obviously wanted to get back to being nationally dominant as well, but they hired Saban and it, and it runs from there. So it was like, there was a stretch where Auburn had the upper hand. Auburn was the team that was, you know, kind of kind of keeping it uh, – like, obviously not winning a ton of national titles, but had some awesome teams in that stretch. And, yeah, and then Alabama comes and just, like, reinstates what they were, um, you know, in their rise to power and doing it at a, in a modern way. And, and it, it drives you crazy if, if you're an Auburn fan. There's no doubt about it because, you know, people who may not understand Auburn and Alabama, it's – the state of Alabama – there we have no pro sports teams we have no major like Alabama and Auburn are it like that's what people you know the passion that people have for their pro sports team that they were born into and all that like this is it because yeah you'll have some folks like there's a lot of Auburn folks who live in Atlanta and that area Braves fans is probably the closest thing you're gonna get but other than that like now this is your team and so it is Again, cliche, but like it is something that people talk about all the time. And so when you see Alabama win title after title after title, it really, really bothers you because not only are you having to literally see it, um, you're having to hear about it Mm -hmm. from friends, coworkers, family members, uh, you know, constantly. And you mentioned Nick, you brought up Nick Saban in Alabama, but like, the other thing now here recently is that Kirby Smart and Georgia are doing the exact same thing now. <laughs> and that's where Auburn is unique and different and is that Alabama is obviously the state school in Alabama. Um, Georgia number one school in the state of Georgia. Auburn sits geographically like right between them. And so they pull from both sides, but they're very, very unique in that they are the number two team, um, you know, in, in, in these two states. But the people who come to Auburn and grow up Auburn fans, stuff like that. They have this passion, like, no, we can do this. Like, we can we can hang with them consistently. And for a while, it was like, well, at least we have Georgia make fun of they hadn't won a title in four years. Bam, back-to-back national titles. <laughs> you know? And so that, that 
it, it does drive you crazy because you get it from both sides now if you're if you're an Auburn fan. So what is the coping mechanism of choice if you are an <laughs> Auburn fan face in the middle of this uh, dynastic sandwich, so to speak? Alcohol, Ryan. It's alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the cheapest, right? Mm -hmm. It's the cheapest coping mechanism. The way Auburn fans have coped with it is by going insane, Um, by becoming completely irrational uh, in a lot of ways. You can't blame them. Like, (laughs) I go back to the 2017 season, right? And, uh, you know, Auburn's coming off a good season where they'd gone to the Sugar Bowl, maybe wasn't great. Uh, You know, uh, we've got Jared Stidham at quarterback. Um, we get to the end of the year, Georgia comes to Jordan Hare stadium. They are number one and undefeated Auburn whips them. That's the game where, uh, you know, Gus in his, uh, inimical Gus Malzahn fashion says we whip the dog mess out of him, which is a, a quote that still makes my veins light up. Like <laughs> I can vibrate thinking about him in the post game scrum in his wonderful Arkansas accent saying that. Uh, you know, a couple weeks later, uh, they kind of whipped the dog mess out of number one undefeated Alabama as well. Um, so we beat our two biggest rivals at home in emphatic fashion, uh, come within one quarter of playing in the college football playoff. Basically, you know, the fourth quarter of the SEC championship game against Georgia is still in the balance. Uh, they play one bad quarter. That doesn't happen. And at the end of the year, Auburn doesn't have bragging rights over either Georgia or Alabama because Georgia just beat Auburn for the SEC championship. Alabama beats Georgia for the national championship. And so despite those emphatic wins, Auburn fans don't have bragging rights over either of their arch rivals, despite these huge gigantic wins. Georgia and Alabama were number one. They were undefeated. They came to Jordan Hare and got thumped. And at the end of the season, it didn't matter at all. And Auburn fans lost it. Like, you can't blame them. Nobody else. This is when people talk about what's it like being an Auburn fan. I don't want to say this is what it's like being an Auburn fan. But it kind of is. Nobody else has gone through this, Ryan. No (laughs) other fan base has gone through a high like 2013, right, where we have the two miracle finishes in a couple of weeks. Like, I, I will posit. I will posit that the 2013 regular season is the greatest regular season any college football fan base has ever experienced. We got to experience that. Four years later, we also got to experience watching both of our arch rivals, who we had beaten, play each other for the (laughs) national championship. You have to celebrate and savor the ones you win a lot more. And that's where I think Auburn's pretty special is that you know, they are chaos, right? And whenever Auburn wins here recently against Alabama or Georgia, it has just been this like, whoa, what in the world happened there kind of thing. And that's kind of pure Auburn to me. Like, you know, you're you're probably not going to win the majority of your games against Alabama or Georgia, but the ones you do get, I mean, they're usually super memorable and you keep chasing that high over and over and over again. And, um, you know, that's – that's kind of where Auburn is at its best when they get to you know run with a knife and, and, and try to hurt themselves or others. That's, that's Auburn football. To the neutral observer, Auburn football, both on the field and as a management entity, is presented as this incredibly chaotic, unpredictable object. Is that what it feels like when you are in it, when you care about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's... You know, Auburn fans can say, you know, the that they have it worse than everybody. It, it, like, Auburn can kind of be the only one who says it. Because even when they win, they try to put you through the most stressful environment possible. Like, it's never just, like, straightforward. Like, they, fe- they beat Alabama. Auburn beat uh, Nick Saban three times. Uh, the, the Malzahn, it was 13, 17, and 19. 17 was kind of straightforward. Mm-hmm. 13 is one of the most famous plays of all time. 19 was somehow an even dumber game from beginning to end. And it's like that like that constant stress, like it's never easy. On the field and off the field, it is never easy for you when you're an Auburn fan. And so yeah, it is it is a chaotic place. And 
you know, Auburn has this kind of thing on the football field where, you know, you you, you can recruit really, really well here, but you're probably never going to get the Alabama and Georgia recruiting classes. So what you got to do is you got to get as close as you can to that, have a quarterback that just makes some chaotic stuff happen, do some underdog stuff and, and, and move around. And that's like the blueprint for succeeding at Auburn. That's not the most stable, especially when Alabama and Georgia are these machines, right? Like they're just like, yep, and we won by – four touchdowns today and we're all mad about it like Auburn fans like you know don't they'll play games against like Mississippi State and it'll be the most just insane thing you've seen all year and it's like yep that's that's Saturday you know this is a this is a school that I mean this is a school that (laughs) won or went to the national title uh and then like two years later it was like playing in overtime against an FCS team like that like that <laughs> right it's that's the yeah. that's the that's where the, you win a national title in 2010 two years later you fire your coach because you have the worst season ever like that's auburn like they never have done anything normal and i think that's part of its charm you know it's what makes it fun it was, it's what makes my job fun it's what's made 30 years of life being involved with auburn athletics fun but I, it also will drive you insane if sure. you're a fan. You know, I was there in Glendale when we won the national championship uh, in 2010. And, uh, you know, I watched every play two years later where Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel beat Auburn roughly 273 to two. Um, <laughs> you know, like these things happen in a span of less than two calendar years. Right. Um, and it's just like it, that's the Auburn existence and has been for a while. Now, that's in terms of the on-field football product. I would say does feel that chaotic. You ride that wave of this week, we are beating number one. The next week, we're going to do the same thing. Um, then maybe two weeks later, let's go lay an egg and get our brains bashed in. You never know truly what you're going to get from a fan experience on the field. You also never truly know what you're going to get from an administrative standpoint, because these people are infighting and it's a power struggle amongst the, you know, whoever wants to create a coup that week, whatever. So you truly, it's predictable unpredictability. That's the only thing that you can count on is that you don't know what's going to happen. Some people love that. Some people hate it. Either How do way, you feel about it? I've learned to tolerate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the highs are super fun. You know, when you have seasons like 2010 or 2013, literally 2013 is the epitome of the autumn, the Auburn experience. You go from the year before you can't win a conference game and you think you're going to be kind of somewhere in the middle of the pack. And then you end the year playing for a national championship. Who saw that coming? Literally mm-hmm. no one. Mm-hmm. That is Auburn. And I think that's why so many people attach themselves so strongly to that season and still look back so fondly on it. Um, not just because it gave us, you know, one of the greatest games in college football history, but because of where it started. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's people that won't let it's been 10 years and people won't let it go and still talk about it as if it were last week. And that's when people say the Auburn family, and I know that's gotten marketed a ton. I know it's been beat over people's heads and it's a joke. Of course it is. It's real in that we are that dysfunctional family that has the crazy drunk uncle who's out in the yard doing who knows what and rousing up, you know, waking up neighbors at midnight because he's screaming like an idiot at the top of his lungs. And we have the kid who's just going to school trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. And we have all of the elements of a typical Southern redneck family and it's just all mashed together in a university (laughs) welcome to the party what does the the chaos label leave out about the experience of being an auburn fan i think it kind of does discount a little bit that sense of community that you feel when you're a part of it 
because that is a strong thing that keeps people coming back to campus year after year and that it doesn't really matter how long it's been since you've set foot on dirt in Auburn it always feels like coming home in a way and I think in the chaos of everything else that little piece gets lost I would push back a little bit on the characterization of Auburn administratively, particularly the football team, as being this sort of hive of chaos. Yes, there are, you know, the boosters, you know, personified by Bobby Louder. Like, a huge amount of this starts with Bobby Louder getting on the plane, you know, uh, with David Housel to go hire Bobby Petrino in 2003, right? Where, you know, Tommy Tuberville is still employed, as Auburn's football coach and, you know, there's these back behind the scenes maneuverings that reach the point where we're sending plans to Louisville, you know, and everybody gets embarrassed. If that never happens, I don't think Auburn quite has the reputation uh, that it does. You know, Auburn has this reputation for firing coaches every time, like, you know, the wind changes direction or whatever. And I don't, that's not the case. Like, uh, you know, we go, uh, Pat Dye was there for what, almost 20 years. Tubby, you know, uh, T- Terry Bowden was there for several. He didn't get fired until he went three and nine. Tuberville was there for a decade, didn't leave until he went five and seven. And they were kind of like, they weren't even that good. Saban was cleaning his clock and recruiting. He needed to get fired. Uh, you know, Chizik went 0 and 8 in the SEC. Uh, you know, Harson, I don't think anybody with any sort of understanding of the facts would argue that Brian Harson should have remained employed by Auburn for one week longer than he was employed. <laughs> so, you know, when I look back over like my lifetime of following Auburn, you know, Gus Malzahn is the only coach that I would say should have been given at least another season uh, who was fired in any way prematurely. Everybody else for all the Sturm und Drang behind the scenes. Admittedly, yes, there are lots of people with powerful says behind the scenes who would have liked Gus to have been fired beforehand. Tubby obviously came very close to being replaced long before he was actually replaced. Um, but when the rubber meets the road, if you're a football coach who goes to Auburn, you are going to be there until your on-field record argues that you should be dismissed. Do you think Auburn fans would actually like being an Alabama, a Georgia, an Ohio State, like one of these programs that you're just like, we walk into the season and they hand us 11 wins and it's really just a question of how many more we're adding to that. Do you think that would be satisfying to the Auburn fan base? I think the results would be satisfying, but I think you would still, if you're an Auburn fan, want the chaos. You mm. would want, you would want like, yep, and, 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 the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback threw it off of a player's butt, and we got a pick six <laughs> off of it, and that's how we won the game. Like, which happened, 2019 Iron Bowl. Uh, like, they would, you would want some of that back, right? Like, I think that's the thing. Like, you would love to have the success, uh, absolutely. And there's been some stretches. Like, you think of Pat Dye in the 80s. Like, they, they had r- runs where they were winning 9, 10, 11 games a year when that was, like, a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, I, I think – there's a little bit of that when you ask about the delusion. It's like some people will sit there and they'll watch Alabama or they'll watch Georgia play. Not as much Alabama recently, but that early Alabama first turn, there's like, yeah, they're winning, but like, you know, how fun is that? They're winning games like 20 to 10 and like play. Like, no, you would love that. But like Auburn, Auburn has been dramatic from day one. And I think you want to have that drama, at least on the field in, in some capacity, which you know, lines up with some of the coaches they've hired. What is an Auburn fan's most delusional but firmly held belief? <laughs> uh, Auburn Jesus. That Auburn Jesus exists <laughs> and will do. Okay. You have to, if you're going to bring him up, you have to explain <laughs> Auburn Jesus for people who might not know. Auburn Jesus is part saint, part voodoo priestess i don't really know how to describe him well except you ask auburn jesus for protection or a win for your team and sometimes he gives you what you want sometimes he for no reason at all turns on the wind machine where no one wearing anything but orange and blue can make a field goal inside jordan hair 
sometimes um, Auburn Jesus goes deaf and you get games where nothing goes right ever. Um, but the belief that he exists and that somehow some divine entity is on Auburn's side at all is, I think, the most powerful delusion. Have you ever believed in Auburn Jesus? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, you get caught up in the discussion of it. Sure. Um, you know, in 2013 Destiny and things yeah. like that. I mean, you make yeah. the jokes, but no. If Auburn you're, a Jesus, you're a woman of science. I, it, exactly. If Auburn <laughs> Jesus existed, 2012 would not have happened. It would depend on how old you are, most part, because you can talk about, like, conspiracy theories about recruiting and all that and how Alabama the the government of Alabama is secretly like controlling <laughs> everything to make sure the tide get as many players as possible. A little different in the NIL era though. Oh man. Um I I don't know, man. Like I I just think there is this there is this level of like you look at Alabama and Georgia and you're like, "Yeah, we can do that." And it's like, "No, you've never done that." Like this is never and and, and like God love you Auburn like you're you're historically top 10, top 15 program all time, right? But you have never been the team where you're just like, hey, we are the, you know, we got it all in line. Like, even when you're really good, it's super, super chaotic. And so, like, it's always, I always kind of fight that sometimes with, with Auburn fans when they were just, well, why can't we just do this? It's like, well, you've never been that before. And, like, now you've got two Titans that you're having to fight against. And so, that's the one I always go back to is just, like, you know, enjoy what you are. Because it's probably really stressful, but the highs are super, super high, I think, if you're an Auburn fan. That Auburn should be in contention to win the SEC, not just some years, but every year. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even necessarily think that's a bad delusion to have. Sure. Uh, I think it's a matter of sort of setting the bar kind of high. That's, I think, where you want it as a fan base, certainly as an administration. I think that's where you should be aiming. I, I don't necessarily think you should say – well, you know, we're just going to kind of putter around the middle of what used to be the SEC West and uh, sort of accept that, you know, we'll make a charge that may or may not get there every five years. Um, but for a lot of the fan base, those die years, the middle of the 80s, where they won three SEC championships in a row, um, were frankly unlucky not to get a shot at the national championship in at least one or two of those years. Uh, you know, the, the earthquake game at LSU in 88, um, you know, I was nine at the time. And so I've had, you know, a number of years I won't specifically name to get over that stupid game. <laughs> and I haven't. <laughs> Freaking LSU dead coming. Because uh, if they win that game, they play Notre Dame for a national title that year. Um, and we look at so many things differently if that happens. What is an Auburn fan's deepest fear? <laughs> right now is that Kirby Smart will win 12 more national titles at Georgia, and it's never going to end. Turning into the Vandy of <laughs> Alabama. Really? Really. Um, not being able to win games against your biggest rivals, failing to be competitive. That's biggest fear um that Saban is implanted with a number of cybertronic <laughs> implants uh and never retires and just lives on coaching forever with his like big red robot eye and his like mechanical Darth Vader <laughs> arms and you know uh you know and that we're in the year you know 2087 and He's still signing seven-star recruits from uh, Phobos, the moon that orbits <laughs> Mars. Um, you know that that would be my deepest fear uh, as an Auburn fan. More realistically, it's that even when Saban retires, that Smart is not going to fall off, uh, and that what Georgia is right now at this moment is going to be what Georgia is going to be for the next decade. You're coming off of like Nick Saban we think can't coach forever. I'm mm -hmm. still not a hundred percent sure. We think he's not going to live forever, but just in case he retires in the near future, well, now you got Kirby that you're running against now and you're, you're just slamming your head up against the wall now because now it's an even younger prototype is, is, is working. And that's the thing. It's just like, 
wow, like we'll never catch a break again. Yeah, having to listen to Auburn LSU. It, the worst years are if you have to take crap from either of the Mississippi schools. <laughs> That's how you know it's it's real bad. Those are the years you're afraid of. Between the Bear Bryant era, which is like ends in the early 80s, right? And the Nick Saban era, which is in the late 2000s. So we're talking about a 25-year span. That is most of the lifetimes of most Auburn fans. Right. Auburn was 100% like head and shoulders with Alabama and Georgia, right? Like, you know, I remember this graphic from like the mid 2000s that ESPN flashed on the screen during an Auburn Georgia game and Auburn and Georgia had played by that point, like 105 times Mm -hmm. and the all time scoring margin was exactly even. It was like 1,112 to 1,112. Like that's how even that rivalry had been since, you know, uh, the bear era had ended Auburn and Alabama had been pretty much even Auburn. And, you know, by the time when Saban was hired, I believe Auburn had a winning record against Alabama since bear uh, had retired. Um, you know, they'd won five in a row when uh, Saban got hired. They won a sixth in a row his first season. You know, Auburn fans who grew up during that era expect Auburn in our souls to be able to compete with Alabama and Georgia. That's that's the way it was when we were little, when we were teenagers, when we mm-hmm. went to college, mm-hmm. when we graduated from college, when we found our first job, when we got married. Auburn was equal to Alabama and Georgia. And then over the course of a vanishingly few number of seasons, really, they just suddenly weren't. And it took a kick six to beat Alabama. It took a comeback to beat Alabama. And it's incredible, honestly, that, uh, you know, Auburn beat Alabama as often as they did last decade. Um, You know, they pulled it off several times. Gus Malzahn. It, you know, I, I totally expected, of course, but it was always funny to me that Alabama fans crapped on Gus at every opportunity when Gus gave Saban more fits than every other coach in the SEC other than maybe Freeze combined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like those were in some ways better years than they had to be. And they still weren't enough, like because it still wasn't what we grew up with. We as a fan base have gotten a little irrational about it. But of course we have like. We grew up with one set of standards and expectations, and then those standards and expectations simply aren't realistic anymore. Uh, And it's tough. Who is the central emotional figure for Auburn fans? If I said the mascot, would you would you laugh at me? I mean, if that's the answer, I'll take it. I, so, I am going to ask for some clarification so, on which mascot we're talking about. Oh, that's a good point. I'm talking about the tiger, the stuffed tiger, yeah. Aubie. Yeah. Aubie. Um, if you've ever seen Aubie before, he is silent and deeply chaotic, like like Auburn can be. Um, he's always messing with people. He's always doing crazy stuff, like you know mascot antics but he for a college mascot he kind of goes over the top a a, a lot of the time and i feel like that's auburn as well because like you know auburn fans i'll tell you like auburn fans love obby and fiercely proud of him like okay so uh, georgia's winning all these national titles in football alabama's done it as well obviously there's other sports where uh their big rivals have been dominant auburn fans They'll they'll ride hard that like Aubie's like a thirteen time national champion like it's like hey man count scoreboard like like <laughs> that kind of thing and so I think it's like he he's got that kind of like always up to something mm-hmm. that's the thing with Aubie he's always up to something like in in, in and like it just it's a really good personification of what Auburn is at its best like is constantly scheming to ruin somebody's day if, and that's Aubie is if the sooner schooner. Every time it came out, you were like, oh, this time it's on fire. Oh, this time it's upside down somehow. Like, that's obvious. I think the Oregon Duck has Mm -hmm. this rep for, like, the Oregon, like, obvious is what people think the Oregon Duck is. Oh, interesting. Like, like in terms of personality. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty chaotic. It's either that, it's either that or Charles Barkley, like, like talking trash on inside the nba like that that's the other that's the other one you get because like charles will charles is a good good rep for auburn as well because he will always take an opportunity to turn something into auburn and that's Mm -hmm. you know that's that's also pretty that's also pretty pretty uh you know representative of the fan base i would say bo jackson the quick answer and i think the answer a lot of people would give would be pat die uh his name is on the field again that's when every Auburn fan thinks about what we want Auburn football to be, we think about the die years, right? 
Um, at least most of us. Some of us, you know, the the really older fans would talk about the Suge Jordan years. Uh, but, you know, 1957 was a long time in the rearview mirror now. Like, um, you know, most of us do not have recollections of that era or of the Jordan era at all uh, at this stage. For most of us, it's going to be the Pat Dye era. Um, but lots and lots of programs, college football programs, have great coaches whose names are on the field or on the stadium, right? Nobody else has Bo Jackson. Nobody. Um, Bo is a walking folk legend. He is a college football John Henry, right? Uh, without the tragic ending, like instead mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, not being able to uh, beating the steam engine, you know, or running for 200 plus yards against Alabama and then uh, keeling over. Bo is still alive and with us and still bicycling all around Alabama and being awesome. Um, but he still has that folk legend status. And I think the reason I say Bo is because again, and this ties into like the Auburn family sense that there is something about Auburn that's not tied to on-field success, right? That being an Auburn fan isn't exclusively about winning football games or winning basketball games. Um, that there's an interconnectedness and sort of a uniqueness to being an Auburn fan that is not tied to simply winning championships. And Bo Jackson gets to the absolute heart of that because Bo is, you know, the guy who could do all the things that he did on a college football field and then on an NFL football field. We've all seen the clips a hundred times by now and they get the heart pumping every single stupid time. I, you know, there's all these clout chasing accounts that are, you know, oh, here's some Bo Jackson highlights again. <laughs> 350 retweets. Like, Jerry, don't watch that. You've seen these clips a hundred times. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to watch the clip again. It's, it's Bo Jackson. Ah, here he is throwing a guy out at home from roughly, you know, 400 feet away for the Kansas City Royals. I've seen this play. So mm-hmm. I'm watching the play again, Ryan. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch him destroy. He's going to destroy yeah. Brian Bosworth. We're going to enjoy it. That's right. Am I going to read the anecdote about Bo hanging out with the swim team and like going up on the diving board and doing this perfect dive on his very first attempt after the divers dared him to? Yes, I'm going to read that anecdote. For the dozenth time, because he's Bo Jackson. Like, he, you know, and I think, you know, Bo did not win uh, a national title while he was at Auburn. Um, you know, his Heisman season actually had some injury problems. It wasn't like a perfect season. Um, and that's why, like, in a lot of these greatest college football player records of all time, you know, he usually winds up behind Herschel and some other guys. But nobody talks about Herschel Walker in terms of this sort of folkloric hero type of thing. Uh, and we do talk about Bo that way. And we talk about him in a way that goes beyond just who he was as an athlete on the football field. He was the uber athlete. He was, you know, this not just iconic, but, you know, the term legend gets thrown around way too often. But Bo Jackson is an actual, like, legend. Like, he actually has that kind of folkloric Johnny Appleseed type status, you know, uh, except that he was a real college football player and he played at the Auburn University. And that's so special. Uh, and I feel so fortunate as an Auburn fan um, that we were the ones who got to, you know, not just appreciate Bo Jackson playing college football and baseball, uh, but also got to root for him and claim him as one of our own. And we still get to do that uh, is an absolutely incredible thing. So to answer your question, I would say Bojack. Albie's too optimistic. He's off the table. Sorry. Love him. He's precious. Best mascot ever. Way too optimistic. I don't know that there is one emotional figure that everyone can cling to. Cause you've got your sunshine pumpers. You've got your people who never want to believe in anything good. There's no solid middle ground that I can point to. As a figurehead, Gus Malzahn was probably the closest thing to emotional stability that we had. But as an emotional support, he was also that detached dad that's just going to go do his job. (laughs) So I don't know that we have a true one shining example. Okay. 
Okay. Which is perfect for chaos. I don't think that I would do particularly well if society collapsed. I am I'm not really built for a cutthroat world where every day is a fight for survival and every night you go to sleep terrified of what unknown horror tomorrow will bring. But I'm not an Auburn fan, and based on this episode, I think that group is going to be fine in the event things go to hell. Thank you to Justin, Lydia, and Jerry for appearing on this, our first episode of We're Not All Like This. Thanks as well to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the show. My producer is the great and powerful Michael Serber. If you liked this show, subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And tell a friend. If you didn't like it, well, you made it through the whole thing anyways. Thanks. I've also got a newsletter starting up with Homefield called Buried Treasure, where I share unusual stories from college football history, and you can find the link to that in the show notes of this episode. Next week, we'll talk to fans of a program that, to me seems like the emotional opposite of Auburn, a school that's had two head coaches in the last 40 plus years. We'll see you soon, Iowa Hawkeye fans.